Well, I've had a real pleasure to prepare this message today. It comes as a bit of a surprise because I, I tweaked to the days that I was going to be speaking and I have had a busy week this week along with a number of other things including a birthday and I thought I'd better just check midway through the week that it was not the 7th or 8th of November that I was speaking. And sure enough, no, it wasn't, it was today. So I made a promise to myself a while ago that I would always have something brewing, always something on my mind that I was preparing to impart, no matter what, so that at a drop of a, a quick turnaround, I would still be able to prepare something and pass something on to you as the people of God. So my message today has a title, and it will come up very shortly, Keeping the Rumour of God Alive. I want to just tease out this subject today. Now, recently in reading my um, magazine and uh, having a coffee at Cake and Kitchen, which a number of you have seen me at before, I was reading a the Sunday paper a couple of weeks ago, and it had the story of a very um, prominent um, journalist. Um, and this is what the title of the story was. Months after being named New Zealand's Broadcaster of the Year, Jehan Kasinda had reached a breaking point. He left his job in Auckland and he headed south. He dodged questions all along the way. And now, at long last, here is his story. His story of a deep and dark depression for four years of his life. This is how he describes what it felt like in that deep and dark depression. He says, when I was depressed, I felt like I was walking through a library, a library that contained just a catalogue of my misery. There were rows and rows of books, and they all described the bad stuff that had happened in my life. Every moment that I'd been hurt, every mistake I'd ever made, every opportunity I'd missed, and it was all there in black and white in this library in my mind. As my mental health deteriorated, he said, I found myself spending more and more time in the shelves of the library, ruminating on how much pain I had experienced and how much pain I had caused others. And eventually, I was practically living in the library. I couldn't put those books down, and I believed that everything I was reading was true. He found in his recovery after this deep, dark depression that there was something about the story that he was telling himself that had no hope and no sense of redemption. And so he went back over a period of time and tried to retell his story by in, in putting into it the essence of some hope and some redemption in his life. And he came to the conclusion that perhaps my brain wasn't broken after all, but perhaps it was my story that was broken. Stories of our lives need hope and redemption. Without them, there is nothing left but despair. Research even tells us that people who are given a diagnosis of something dreadful if you go back and find out how they would journal in their journals prior to that diagnosis or that tragedy, the people who had threads in their story of hope and redemption always managed those times of crisis better. 
You see, deep down inside every single one of us is a longing to rewrite our story. If only we could go back into that library and take down those books and rewrite the story of our lives, we would find something to continue to live for. It would relieve the burden of guilt. We would find grace for our weaknesses and our shortcomings. And we would believe that no matter what the story looked like, there was always the hope that it could improve, that there could be transformation. And that possibly through our story of hope and redemption, we could pass that hope on to others. I'm going to give you a lesson, Theology 101 today, because so often we sing songs like we sang this morning, we read books, we do all sorts of things, but somehow, while we're reading and seeing it, the depth and the truth has not really gone deep down into our soul and found its resting place. What is the redemption of God? What does that term salvation mean? This is all about God's part, what he's done for us. There's another whole part that I'll do a message on in the future on the other part, which is our part, which is to be transformed and work with God and, and change and, and let his word and his life around us change us on the inside. But when it comes to redemption, when it comes to salvation, this is something that only God can do. And sometimes I think we get it slightly wrong. Romans 5 verse 12 says that through one man, sin entered the world. We've all read that verse. Through one man, sin entered the world. It says in Romans 5 verse 12 that when by one man, Adam, sin entered into the world, as a result of that sin, death came. And then because all men have sinned, all men face death. What a tragic ending, what a tragic dilemma if that's where we're left. If Jesus Christ is to regenerate me, I think he's got a big problem on his hands because I, as a human being, was born into a dilemma where sin reigned, where I inherited what Adam brought into the world. And I'm not holy, and neither am I likely to be holy and if all that Jesus Christ can tell me is this is what I want you to be, I can never attain that. I can never get there. It just produces despair. But the good news is that Jesus is the regenerator. He is the regenerator. The revelation in the Bible is that not that Jesus took upon my sins, plural, my, the things I've done wrong, the regrets that I should have done better, the hurt and pain I've caused. But the great news of redemption, of the salvation of God, is that he went right to the core of it and addressed the genetics, the hereditary factor that was passed on by Adam to me as a human being. And that Jesus deliberately took the significant mammoth weight of what happened on his own shoulders and died a death for the whole of the human race. It's a game changer. Do you know that there's nowhere in Scripture that God holds me responsible for that genetic hereditary factor I inherited from Adam. 
Sin is a fundamental breakdown in our relationship with God, and God knew that. And it's not about the wrong doings, it's about the wrong being. I was born with a desire to be independent from God and not connected as he had longed for me to be. And the time at which I become responsible to God for that salvation, for that amazing um, regeneration that he promises me, is when I realize the amazing depth of what that salvation means when Jesus died on the cross for me, that I stand there and refuse it instead of accepting it. Through the death of one man, sin came into the world, and then as a result, as a result of one man who was God himself, God redeemed the whole of the human race and set it on a new course that linked with his plans and his purposes. Now, I know that sounds quite similar to what you probably believe, but when you really, truly get that and grasp that, you start to think about what, what the news is, what the good news is that we can share with others. It's not hell and damnation. It's the fact that we were born with a dilemma. It was inherited by someone else. It came upon us, and as a result, we were independent from God, but God knew that. So he came up with a plan to send his only son down and get right to the core of the issue and allow the whole of the human race, should they accept his offer, to move from here right over to this side. Now, I know that the majority of those that are here today can remember the moment when that truth dropped into their heart. But I want to remind you of it. <clears throat> I heard of a fantastic illustration the other day of a beautiful, magnificent painting like you'd find in the art galleries of Europe. And it was found um, after many, many hundreds of years being buried under a whole lot of stuff. And somebody recognised it as a famous piece of work. I can't remember who the artist was. But when they looked at this piece of huge piece of art, it was just dreadful. There was, the colours were distorted, there was grey, there was marks, there was, it, was, it was nothing. And people thought that it was so precious that nobody knew how to address getting it back to its original um, status. And there was meeting after meeting and people looked at, they got people to see who could be the cleverest person to pick away at the, the dirt and to, to maybe brighten up the colours and all of that. And then someone came up with something and I don't know what the liquid was, but it was a liquid. And the analogy is like the blood of Jesus. And they said, trust me, I am going to cover the whole of this painting in this fluid and we're going to let it do its job. And at the end of a period of time, that will be wiped off and we will see what we will see. And what they saw was something they, that completely left them dumbfounded. The colours were brighter and more beautiful than they'd ever seen. Aspects of the painting just came alive like no one had ever seen. There'd never been a painting like that. And this painting was brought back to its original design and its purpose, and it shone with a brightness that it had never had prior to that when it was hidden. 
That is the intention of God coming into our lives and the blood of Jesus covering our sin and bringing each of us, not just you, but your family, your community, the whole world at large, back into the purposes and plans that he originally planned. There is no other way than the blood of Jesus and the cross of Jesus. The redemption story is the best story that's ever been told. It has potential to change and rewrite your life story. To bring hope and to redeem the broken parts of your life and mine. And you will find grace and forgiveness in the heart of God. And a future that no matter what you face, there's a hope and there's an expectation of something good. Do you know, sometimes I think if I really truly believe that, would I sit on that story and never share it with the people I come across in my work? The people I come across randomly, like my friend Penny, who I've met in a cafe, we were total strangers, and we've started this lovely little connection with one another, and we share our life stories. Am I going to keep the very best story that's ever been told away from her, how am I going to start to share the best story that's ever been told? And as I said, it changes not only your own life, but your actual lineage, the family dimensions for now and for the future. We just buried my wonderful dad the other day at 93, and I got an email the other day from the um, Brethren Church across the nation to say, would they mind if we put his recorded um, funeral service into the archives as an honour of a man who served his life for Jesus in his church and in mission and changed so many people's lives quietly behind the scenes? And of course I said that would be wonderful. But do you know what? What wasn't necessarily shared at his funeral, that his lineage wasn't that great to start with. The day that he was born... Um, his mother was sitting in the, in the maternity home and saw in front of her a big bicycle with, a, with her husband on it with a woman sitting on the front of it whom he was having an affair with. This is in the day after my father was born. The lineage that my father had to deal with to change what his family genetics and what all his family stories could have been I honour my father for that because when him, he came to faith, he made a determination not to pass on that legacy to any of his own children. And the wonderful story for me is that my wonderful grandfather, his father, came back to faith and spent the rest of his life as a faithful man. That is the story of redemption of the hope of salvation, not in theory, but brought into the very roots of our lives and into our lineage. I want to encourage you today, if you haven't done it for a while, immerse yourself in the story of salvation. Go back and look what it means to be redeemed. I dare you to believe that story as the best story that's ever been told for yourself for your family, for your community, and for the whole of the world around you. Clarify what part is God's part. As I said, we can do nothing but accept by grace his wonderful offer. But our part is to participate in his plan 
to extend and declare and keep that rumour alive? What am I doing to keep the rumour alive that God is a faithful God, that he has a plan that can reach the depths of my brokenness, that can heal my pain, that can exchange a genetics that makes me just always on the wrong side of life to coming on to the plan and the purpose that God's intended? Redemption means that Jesus can put into any man or any woman new life, the very life of Jesus. Change my genetics and put the Spirit of God within me. And then all of the standards that he calls me up to. You know, have you ever read the Beatitudes and thought, oh my goodness, let's just stop it at verse 1. There's no way I'm going to achieve that. Do you know that those, those standards are never for me to achieve by myself? They're to call the Spirit of God within me and miraculously to be able to bring those wonderful truths and standards and the Beatitudes to life. Not because I can do it, but because inside of me resides the Spirit of God. Do you know one of the saddest things I said to you before? Make sure you get what your part is and God's part is and get it settled. Okay? It's a settled deal, your redemption and your salvation. You didn't earn it. You did nothing to achieve it. It was given to you by a master plan of God. Now, one day, some of you will remember this young lady. I won't name her. There was a couple in the fellowship many, many, many years ago, and she was quite a troubled, troubled young woman. She had a husband who was very helpful and, and caring, and they had children, but she was forever needing help. She was struggling in so many areas of her life. And she'd come to life and put on a brave face and sing hallelujah, and we'd all think she was on track, and then she would decline and things would go all wrong. And I don't remember whether it was here or at the old church around the corner, um, but one day, I don't know if I was praying for her or not, but... I saw like, like Jesus standing here on the throne and I saw a beautiful red carpet coming from right down the back, right up here for those people to come into, into the presence of God, just to walk straight up to the presence of God. And I looked at the carpet and I turned around and I looked at it from different sides. I thought, there's a bump in the carpet. It goes along like this and then there's a bump. What on earth is that bump? And I went to the other side in my mind and I can't remember if it was a vision when I was praying for her or not. And do you know what I realised? It was her. All the weight of who she was, her sin, her difficulties in life, she could not stand on that red carpet. She had crawled underneath it because she could not stand face to face with God, because something in her story was broken and she had not captured the truth that no matter what she had done in her past, no matter how good she had been or how wicked she had been, nothing could make her stand righteously before God. She needed to come out from underneath that carpet and get a darn good dose of the grace of God that he accepted her just as she was. My heart is that we would all be able to stand before God and from there walk bravely with our heads up high and just come to the throne of God and say, thank you. Thank you, Father God. It's not about me. It's all about you. Nothing you can do 
can actually gain or earn God's favour. It is entirely a gift. Some people live their Christian life on a little precipice. They haven't got that message quite right. And to be honest, that was me for a fair few years, where I thought I had to spend, after hearing this wonderful news of salvation, that the call on my life was to pay God back for the favour by being especially good. And I sat like it was on a precipice, and I only had to move one side or the other, and something would go wrong, and I would feel like I was a failure before God. Your salvation is not hanging on a fine thread that if you push it too far and blow it tomorrow, it's all going to fall apart and be fragmented. It's secure. It's solid. It's all about Jesus and what he's done for us. And we need to get off that precipice of feeling like we're disappointing God and just stand before him on that red carpet and say, this is me, God, yet another day. May the blood of Jesus Christ just come over and wash across all the things that I haven't achieved, the things I should have done and the times I've blown it. Because the essence of it is, I accepted your plan of salvation, and the moment I did, I was in your favor. I was in your favor. How do we go about keeping the rumor of God alive? Well, one of the things is getting that truth in our heart. I've been encouraged recently by two stories of people in the Bible who heard a rumor they weren't, they weren't part of the community of faith, but they heard a rumour. Now, one of them's been alluded to before recently, um, and that's the story of Rahab. Dean mentioned her a bit, and I've got a message that I've done on Rahab before. And Rahab was living in the city in Jericho, and there was a, all this news about the, the, the kingdom of the Israelites that were going to come and invade Jericho. Now, every single person in that city heard the same rumour. They heard the rumours about what was going on. They heard that this was a powerful army. They heard that God had opened up the Red Sea. They, um, they heard that they had chopped heads off people and kings and whatever. And the whole city was in fear and in trembling. And that's as far as it went. And one woman, a very unexpected young woman, who was a prostitute in the town... This is what she said. She said that she had heard all of that, and then she says, For the Lord your God is God in heaven, above and on earth beneath. She heard the same rumors, but then she declared that she believed that the rumor was true, that this was a mighty God, that this was a fearful God, this was a God that could save people and destroy the enemies. But instead of cringing in fear, she said, put my hand up. I can hear all of that and I want to be part of that. And so in the most amazing way, she entered into the, a brand new story and a new heritage and lineage that changed the history books forever. You heard the other day about how, as a result of that, that also um, she, she then went and married, and she, mar- and she ended up marrying and having a son whose son was Boaz. What do you think about Boaz? He was a righteous man. He was the man that when Ruth was going gathering around the, the site, he was interested in the, in the refugee. He was interested and compassionate. He was an amazing leader. Can you imagine that coming from a life of being a prostitute 
She then went and joined the children of Israel. And what the most magnificent part of that story is, is that through joining the family of God, she actually found a place of rehabilitation. She found a place to get her life together and sort her stuff out. And the cry of my heart is that we would be a group of people, a church that wasn't just known for being a welcoming community. I loved it when we had the Gabian service recently and how people all said the thing that got me to come and the thing that's got me to stay is that you welcomed me. I felt welcomed. But church, I want to I want to bring that to another level. Are we prepared for the Rahabs to come amongst us? Are we prepared for the brokenness of people's lives? Now, I live in the real world like you do. I come across broken lives every day in my consultations with people. The sadder the stories, the harder it is. And yet God has placed each of us so that we would be an echo of the rumor of God, that God is alive, that you don't have to be stuck in that scenario forever, that not only can your life change, but you can change the whole lineage, the whole lineage of what's in, of your family future, that God can come in and redeem it. Who's been listening to the TV or hearing the rumor that God is alive through the life and the story of Stan Walker, who's on the road at the moment. Do you know how horrendous his life story is? That he was abused physically and sexually. He lived in a family where it was so much dysfunction that you probably couldn't count the bruises on his body at times. And this is the most remarkable story. Talking about journalists, the journalists don't know what to do with it. They've gone back and they've traced his family history and they've interviewed his mother and father and they're going, my goodness, this doesn't fit. How could this be? Because at the age of eight, his family came to faith and faith came into that family and healed their broken lives and as a result, Stan Walker is on the road to tell every single other person in New Zealand that he can get his hands on that there is a God to keep the rumour of God alive. My challenge to you today is what are you doing to keep the rumour of God alive? The real mark of a saint is that he makes it easier for others to believe in God. The real mark of a saint is that we make it easier for others to believe that there is a God. Now, as I finish, I want a word to those of you who are new, who have joined us in the last six months to a year, and I want to call you up. I want to call you up, and also those of us who are amongst us. If you have joined us in recent months, I want you to come on that journey with us to shape our life and our church that we will be known as not just a friendly, smiley face, but a place where people can find life, hope, and redemption. And we are all needed, every single one of you. What is your gift? I don't know what yours is. Look, I have honed mine. I have given up a whole lot of other opportunities because 
God has spoken to me about where I fit. I want you to go away and find out what you know is the call of God on your life. It's not a time to be shy. It's a time to shine. It's a time to put up your hand and say, we can't do this by ourselves. This is a task beyond us all. But we want this place to be known where the rumour of God is kept alive, not within the four walls of our church, but it is out there where our real lives are lived. And then people will be drawn and we will have the capacity because we're all functioning where we fit to actually see that redemption of God in reality. Bless you.